Hi everyone, and welcome to this new episode of More Than Medical Students. Today is a bit of a different episode. This is a collaboration episode with a page and podcast, How to Become a Doctor. It's a bit of a role reversal for me, as I am on the guest side and I'm being interviewed by Vicky from How to Become a Doctor. In this episode, you can hear all about my experience of my foundation year one and tips I have for new F1 doctors and new doctors in general. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you later, guys. So welcome back to the podcast. I'm Vicky and I'll be hosting today. And without further ado, I'm going to ask Marianne to introduce herself. Hi everyone, nice to meet you. My name is Marianne. I'm currently in F1 working in London. Yeah, thanks so much for coming Marianne to give us some more top tips on F1 and I think this episode will be focusing more on how F1 has been and any advice about how to get through F1 rather than the sort of application process itself. So what jobs have you had as an F1? As an F1, I've had, I started off on surgery, more specifically liver and pancreas surgery, it's called HPB surgery, which is quite specialized. And then after this, I had specialized endocrinology. So it wasn't your usual endodiabetes that you have in like DGH, because I work in a university hospital. And so it was very specialized, but super interesting. And my last placement was care of the elderly. So geriatrics, where I'm on right now. So a lot more general medicine. It's been very interesting as well. And have you enjoyed any of them in particular or found any particularly challenging? Yes. So a lot of people will tell you that surgery is really tough as an F1, which I think is correct because the workload, yeah, it's very different, I think, on medicine. The workload is a lot more intense. You have more patients probably a bit less support as well and obviously when you know when you're starting f1 the first placement is the one where it's probably the hardest to get to grips with things because obviously you haven't been a doctor before and just like getting used to the workload getting used to the long days getting used to the rota so it was quite a challenge to start on surgery but it's definitely possible and made it through Excellent. And what tips do you have for incoming FI1 starting on those jobs? So maybe not that particular type of surgery, but maybe surgery in general. Yeah, I think it's really important when you're on surgery to understand the systems. How does it work when patients go to theatre? How does it work when different consultants are doing different ward rounds or who's doing what? Because I think a lot of the difficulties is sometimes just Because there's so much to do, you have to prioritize and you have to optimize. And the other important thing, I think, on surgery is saying no to people when you don't feel comfortable doing something or when you feel out of your depth. Because I think for some surgeons, the mindset is, oh, just try to do it and you'll manage, which is not always the case. And so sometimes you have to be like, no, I've never done this before. For example, you know, removing clips or stitches or whichever on the ward or removing drains. You just have to be like, look, I've never done this before and I don't feel comfortable doing it. Even though you're telling me it's really easy, you just have to take the stitch out and pull it out. You just have to be like, I want to observe you this one time and then next time I can try myself. It's hard to be assertive, I think, as an F1 sometimes. 
But when it comes to things that you're not comfortable doing, I think that's the right time to really be politely assertive and be like, no, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And hopefully they'll respect that. So that's really reassuring to hear that it is possible just to just to say no. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose more generally, any advice at all for incoming FI1s? Yes, there's a lot of advice. So I want to start by saying, first of all, there's a lot of negativity around working in NHS at the moment, understandably. And F1 can be a really challenging and tough time. It's really intense. A lot of hours, a lot of work. And when you start, obviously the first placement is the most stressful because you've never been a doctor before. But each placement, when you start, for about a month maybe, you have to get to grips with things. So it's normal that you feel out of your depth. It's normal that you feel a bit more stressed and you ask your seniors a lot more questions at the beginning. That's really normal. And yeah, it's not easy. It's a challenging time, but there's so much positivity in the job. Like I've thoroughly enjoyed working as an F1, which I know is not the case for everyone. And I'm not minimizing this people who say it's been tough. But for me, I just want to say you've done medical school and now finally you're a doctor. And that can be really fun really interesting and you can really learn a lot and hopefully you know the atmosphere on the ward in your team is positive and you're able to just not only like learn and work hard but also enjoy it and that's definitely possible so for anyone out there who's you know really worried or really expecting the worst there's also a lot of really good aspects the other thing I would say is all the other f1s it's such a nice atmosphere everyone's really friendly and you just have this like nice group of F1s that you can hang out with and debrief about work as well if it's been tough. So I know a lot of people are terrified about starting work as a doctor and it's normal, but there's a lot of positives as well. So some of the tips, yeah, I would start with would be, I think, make use of your shadowing days slash week, depending on how much you have. I think that's going to be really, really, really key. Use it to learn about the IT system, I think. Hopefully you can get to grips with that a bit quickly, but also learning how, like we were talking earlier, the system of like for the flow of patients through the ward. Who do I refer to? How do patients usually get discharged? How do I organize follow-up in clinic? All of those things, because as an F1, you do a lot of annoying admin behind the scenes. So you have to kind of get to know all this, which you will also pick up afterwards during your placement. But during shadowing week, you're here with someone who's done that job for four months to really make the use of it. Maybe some placements have a handover like Word document, which is really useful. And if there's no handover document, I'd encourage you to just have a quick Word document where you put different emails of the key people that you need to email, for example, theater coordinator, different belief numbers, all in that Word document so that you can refer back to it later. Because the most stressful thing is when someone turns to you like, can you organize clinic follow-up? And they're like, I have no idea. And the senior doesn't know either because the senior doesn't do the paperwork. So it's quite important that you pick up on those small things when you're on your shadowing week. Yeah, also during your shadowing week, make sure you get to grips with like your rota and your timetable. Because honestly, it gets very tricky. On when I looked at my timetable the first time I saw it, I was like, what is LD? What is WR? What is SAU? Because different types of shifts, different types of places where you might be allocated in the hospital. So really ask them, you know, what does it mean if I'm on SAU or whatever that day? What does it mean? What do I do? Where do I go? 
because it's the most stressful things of being like you turn up to the wrong place in the morning and your seniors like texting you like where are you and you're like I'm not sure because it's a new hospital but that's another tip I would say some other really life-saving things I think in terms of resources you should really get several apps actually first one called induction for each hospital there's a huge number of bleep numbers and telephone number for all the different specialties and on induction you'll have everyone's bleep everyone's phone number you can even call through the app if you have good enough reception in the hospital, which is just a lifesaver. You're not going to be like, you know, asking the nurses, how do I bleed this team? Calling switchboard for hours. Just you got the number on induction. You can call whoever you need. Microbiology, a good one in surgery that you'll always be calling. The other app that I would really recommend is Microguide for the antibiotic choices. It's also adapted to your local guidelines. So again, you enter your own hospital. And it will tell you exactly, this is how we treat UTI in males. They'll give you the exactly which antibiotic and the length of time and second option if they're allergic. So that's really useful because, you know, no one ever memorizes any antibiotics and it's good because you need to adapt them to local guidelines. And the third really good app is MDCalc to help you calculate scores. Like someone tells you to prescribe so many weird medication according to your creatinine clearance and you've got to calculate it and there's no way that you're doing the square root of something over something else so just enter the formula and then it'll give you the score and you can just write it so three life-saving apps I think. How do you go about organizing jobs either on day shifts or on call shifts? Yeah, to summarize a bit from the beginning for people who might not know this. So most specialties, I would say nearly all specialties, the day starts with a ward round, usually senior led. So you do the ward round. It can last up to, you know, two, three hours. Some surgical ward rounds are a lot shorter. I would recommend there's usually two of you maybe documenting the ward round. So take turns on each patient. So that it means that while, you know, someone has a look at the next patient, someone's doing the first patient, and then it flows a bit better. And then as you go, I'd recommend keeping a jobs list with you on the ward round, because sometimes you don't have time, but it's good, you know, you have your list, you're jotting, as you're writing the plan in the notes, you also write it on your paper list, so that at the end of the ward round, you have your list of jobs. I put exclamation marks next to the ones that are urgent. So I know when my ward round ends, I got to start with those. Yeah, I would say having a list is really useful. I have an example of a list on my Notion page and on my Instagram page as well, because, you know, you can just have a paper and write down whatever details you need. But you can also have a pre-prepared page where you can take if they need bloods, take if you need to chase bloods, take if they need any imaging. And that's actually really useful when you're on ward round, because otherwise you're going to be like, oh, my God, who needed an x-ray? Who needed blood tests? Probably five people need blood tests. So you need to just flag those people and then it's about prioritizing it's about getting organized with the jobs have like really good communication within your team I think the best way is probably to split up the patients you know whoever you've seen on ward round might be the easiest thing that you then do the jobs for those patients because you were there when the patient was examined or you saw the patient yourself you examined them yourself so then it's easier for you to do the jobs and then we usually have around 1 p.m. before lunch, a little huddle where we're like, how are we doing with jobs? And if there's some other people who have urgent jobs to do, there's no point meeting my non-urgent job if someone else is struggling with their really urgent jobs. So we help each other out to even out the workload. 
So ideally, really have you know those conversations at the beginning of the job um, with the people who are working with you, your co-F1s or F2s, SHOs, or anyone else. Yeah, okay, how are we getting organized for this? That's how I would recommend going on about it. And making sure you're quite clear about what's urgent and what's not. For example, things like discharge summaries, the nurses will tell you it's urgent. Of course, it's still really important because discharging patients on time is really important to this bed crisis and everything. But all the urgent things like, you know, someone's unwell, you need to do urgent blood tests. That's still going to be, of course, more urgent than the discharge summaries. Ideally for discharge summaries, this is hard, but try to think ahead. Like, okay, this person's getting better. They might be discharged in two or three days. Let me start at least going through the notes, making a timeline. And then the summary is almost ready. And you just need to add at the end, you know, this is what the GP needs to do. This is what medications we're sending home with. So at least you're not starting from scratch when you've got to do the discharge summary at 4 p.m. Friday, kind of. Yeah, I think that's hopefully answered your question. Definitely. And it's, it's good to hear how you've gone about doing it. And that document sounds super useful. So I'll definitely mm. be checking that out. And how would you say transition from medical student to FY1 doctor has been like? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's honestly like the first few weeks of F1 are crazy. It's a bit of imposter syndrome, of course, but also a bit of what do you mean I'm supposed to answer when someone says you're the doctor? I'm like, I'm not. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I am. So it's just about really being like, yeah, yeah, it's me. I'm the doctor and just realizing that. And it's actually really, really positive. Like I loved it because I was been working really hard for five or six years of med school. And I get to walk into the patient's room and be like, hi, I'm your doctor today. And that's honestly awesome and it's so exciting very scary the other thing is just remember you're you're a junior doctor you're a foundation doctor so you're not expected to suddenly solve all the problems it's not like you know you go from medical students to now you need to do everything yourself you don't you're here as a junior and yes you're a doctor but you can ask for help anytime and always tell the nurses oh, actually I can help you with this part but I can't do this other thing because I'm too junior or I'm not sure how to do it and I'll just ask my senior and you know. So the transition's been quite fun, yeah. It's a bit scary as well having to do some decisions by yourself because you know how when you're in med school, someone asks you a question, you're like, oh, I'm just a medical student. Let me ask the doctor. And suddenly you turn around and you're like, okay, no, I need to answer. So it's a lot more, obviously the bug doesn't stop with you because you're a junior, as we said, but a lot of the times the nurses are going to be like, okay, what do we do? Do you want to give this medication or not? Are you prescribing it? Are you going to cancel the prescription? And you have to be like, okay, this is my decision. We're going to do this, which is at the beginning quite scary, but you get used to it. So I really enjoyed the fact that as a medical student, especially I think in my last year, I really found it. I was always observing. I was never doing much and I was really trying to help, but I always felt like I couldn't help. So I could see the whole ward buzzing around me and I was like, okay, I can do some blood tests to help or something. I don't feel like I'm actually contributing. Whereas when you get to F1 and you get to the end of the day, you're like, I made this happen today. Three people got discharged because of me. This person got better because of me. These relatives were reassured because of me. And that's really awesome. Again, I'm not minimizing medical students. Like they can definitely contribute a lot to the team. And even by sometimes just being there chatting to patients or supporting the F1. Like the other day I had a medical student, they were bringing me water and I was like, you've literally saved our lives today because we're so warm and so dehydrated. And they were like, okay, you guys need water. So 
as a medical student, you're always super useful. But I think as an F1, it's great to be like, now I'm actually doing, I'm not just observing. So yeah, the transition has been good. Nice to hear. Sounds like it's all been worth it. Yeah. I think you've already started answering my next question, but just to sort of summarise, I suppose, how have you found F1 overall? Any particular highs or any particular challenges? Overall, I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure I would have said that if you asked me in November, honestly, because the beginning is a bit tough and surgery was quite tough, which is strange because I am more surgically minded and I enjoy it a lot more. But the problem is as an F1, especially in surgery, you're very admin heavy and doing all the little bits and bobs that SHOs don't do because they're in theatre doing the cool stuff and the exciting stuff. As an F1 in my hospital, we also don't even do take which is the medical take or the surgical take, which I think is one of the really interesting parts of the job because you see someone in A&E who's just come in with a pathology, which is the most interesting bit. The post-op of the 25 patients on the ward isn't the most interesting bit, but that's the bit you get to do as an F1. Everyone has to start there. So it's part of the way you're you know, going to learn and so we just got to accept that. But yeah, I didn't find surgery that fun as an F1 at all. I went to theatre once in four months, which is normal because I said you're doing the admin. I would say, can I get a bit more theatre exposure if you're interested in that? Because if you don't ask, I think they'll just assume you don't want to. So feel free to show you're enthusiastic and like, I've done my urgent jobs. Can I just go to theatre for the afternoon? Or do you mind if I swap with the F2 if they're happy with it and I go to theatre for a bit? and the F2 does a bit of the jobs. So yeah, surgery was a bit, I found it also tough in terms of fatigue and all the shift. As in, when you come back from a surgical shift, you will not do anything. Like you will lie on the sofa for two hours and you'll sleep. I found when I was on the medical side, it was a lot less stressful. There's still a lot to do and we usually do a lot more for each patient. So there's probably a lot more thorough things to do for each patient just because of the nature of medicine. It's a lot more detail-oriented than surgery. It's like, yeah, they're fine. Prescribed analgesia, which, by the way, is very tricky. But I feel, yeah, I feel like in surgery, the patients would also stay for a lot shorter amount of time, some of them. So it's like you'd have to do discharge ceremonies for people who've been here for four days. So it can be a lot shorter. There's still a higher volume of work. So... Overall, I would like to say that I've enjoyed surgery, but because of the way it was so time pressured and we were quite overworked, I really loved the team and I really enjoyed working with them, but I didn't enjoy the specialty that much. Although I think as an SHO or as a reg, it's really interesting. I think as an F1, it was a bit tough doing all the paperworky stuff, doing all the bloods. Like you're here doing five rigamases every morning and you're like, why didn't I get a phlebotomy degree in that case? And then in medicine, I really, especially in geriatrics, we do our ward rounds by ourselves, not every day, but probably every other day or sometimes two days in a row. So that's really allowing me to learn a lot. And I feel a lot independent. And when I see my own ward round notes, I'm like, oh, I've grown from a baby F1 to this doctor that can actually take some small treatment decisions and improve patients' treatments. Uh, that's been really rewarding. So overall positive, I would say. And have there been any moments where you've not really been sure what to do? And if so, how do you manage those situations? Yeah, okay. I can give several examples. I think that's one of the other important things for F1s is really knowing how to escalate. So 
my first shift on call on care of the elderly I didn't realize who I had to call like who do I escalate to obviously I realized it very quickly but you should ask that in the morning when you arrive to be like okay this evening I'm on call I'm the F1 what is my escalation pathway like so who do I call who do they call if they need help and that's really important so I think remember that when you're asking for help, you need to do like SBAR handover, situation, background assessment, recommendation. I've just been to see this patient. He's quite unwell. His observations are getting worse. And I'm worried because X, Y, and Z, this is his background. I'd like you to come and review him and help me, please. So just be very clear with what you want. And it happens a lot that we don't know what to do as juniors, I think. So again, if this is urgent, you can call your senior urgently. Make it clear to them that, you know, this is urgent, the patient's unwell. If it's very urgent, like patient's blood pressure is dropping, not stable, then you can put out, depending on the hospital, either a medical emergency call or a cardiac arrest call. Even if the patient's, you know, not cardiac arrest, like if they're unconscious, blood pressure is dropping. It's really important to say that because some people are quite afraid to put out those kind of calls but the whole point of a medical emergency call or cardiac arrest call is that people come and help you because you can't order a chest x-ray take bloods prescribe bloods prescribe fluids all at the same time you're only one person so it's totally valid if patients unwind there's too many things to do at once either call your senior if you think they're going to come quickly but if you need really urgent help don't hesitate to put out an emergency call and yeah, that, that's quite important. Make sure, again, you've asked your seniors, you know, how do I get hold of you if I need anything? That's, again, tricky in surgery because your seniors are probably going to be in theatre. There's always one SHO and one reg that are covering A&E, so they shouldn't be in theatre. So that can be a good port of call as well, even if they don't know your ward patients. If something's really going wrong, get hold of them as well, because if the other surgeons are in theatre, they won't be able to help you. But if it's something non-urgent, you're stuck, like what antibiotics are prescribed? Again, you can ask your senior or you can try to reach out to different specialties. Like we're talking about microbiology. I would say only call them if it's really complex antibiotic management. And if you can't, you know, if there's no guidelines or if your own senior isn't sure, that's definitely the right way to do it. The other thing, I should have said that earlier, actually, but it's completely okay to just check on your phones. Okay, so I'm not exactly sure what medication to prescribe in that case. They can look up the guidelines. When you're talking to a patient and they ask you a question, you don't have to immediately tell them the answer. You can be like, okay, do you mind if I check that with you? And I'll get back to you in a minute. So go and check the notes. Go and check on which guidelines you're using. You can check on the BNF for the doses. So it's not a medical school exam. One really good thing about being an F1 is knowing your resources and knowing how to use them. So when you don't know, look it up. Obviously, you don't just Google it and take the first result without using your critical thinking. But definitely look up guidelines, look up whichever, you know, Royal College of Endo, if you're looking at insulin things. You can call up the endocrinologist if you have problems with blood sugars as well. So there's a lot of people there to help you with decisions and difficult decisions as well. And the other thing I just want to add, if you're not sure how to do it, so not clinically, from like this conflict either with the nurses or with a relative or with a patient, but remember to also you know, take a step back. Go and either consult with your senior or nurse in charge is really good. The ward manager is also incredible. So I don't know if you guys know what that is. The ward manager is usually in charge of two or maybe three wards, doing a lot of the admin for the ward, but also he or she, really experienced nurse 
they know the pathways in the hospital, they know how to call the hospital manager, they know how to call security, or they can just have really good communication skills and they can come and chat to a relative, chat to a patient, typical thing, patients like, I'm going to complain about you, and then you're panicking and you want to cry. But then, you know, take a step back, go and ask your senior, go and ask the ward manager. And even if the patient will make a complaint, the ward manager can really explain to them the procedure and usually de-escalate things really well. So I would recommend you know, nurse in charge, senior ward manager. They're all really good at helping you. And they know you're a junior. They know you're an F1. Don't worry. You can just go up to them and ask for help. Well, that's really reassuring to hear. lots of sources of help there. I suppose, have you ever been able to get support if you needed support for yourself? Yes. So sources of support in terms of, like, you know, if you're on the long term, you're struggling or you're feeling like your placement's not going well, you have other issues, for example, getting through your sign-offs or everything. So you have your clinical supervisor who's for each rotation, you have a doctor who's assigned to you for four months. And although they might not be on the ward with you all the time, it's a person that you can like have a chat with if you know you're struggling or you'll have a meeting at the beginning and at the end of each placement, but you can always email them and tell them, I'm struggling with this aspect or I've been struggling with this. Can you help me? Or, you know, I'm not doing well at the moment. I'm just reaching out. And the other person is the educational supervisor, who is someone who supervises you for the whole year. Again, you'll meet them once or twice per placement. So you should get to know them a little bit. And they're the ones who sign you off at the end as well. So make sure you do have a good relationship with them. And it's really important just early on, tell them oh, I'm really struggling with going to teaching, for example. That's a typical thing F1 struggle with. Every time I want to go, so teaching is compulsory as an F1. You need to do 30 hours of core teaching and 30 hours of non-core teaching. Problem is core teaching is at 12 or one in the middle of the day. And if you're on surgery, it's likely the surgeon will try to convince you not to go to teaching or not. Hopefully they'll facilitate that. But it does happen that you're too busy. Obviously, if there's an emergency, you need to attend to that. But this should be a protected time for you to go to teaching. So if you're struggling to go to teaching, I'd really recommend letting your clinical supervisor know this is compulsory teaching. How can we organize it in the way that I can attend teaching for an hour and then come back to the ward safely? Other things. Each hospital should have a guardian of safe working hours. So if you're finding yourself that every day you're staying an hour late and no one's helping you, you know, if it happens once or twice, it happens. But if it happens regularly and no one's addressing your concerns, you can also go to them. Lastly, the medical education team. During your induction week, you'll meet them. They're usually more admin people, but they have contact details of the head of your foundation school, for example, which is a person who has a lot of power. So if you have any other troubles or questions about how does Horace work, how do I submit my reflections, how do I submit my cases, they really help to here to help you with all the admin paperwork, ARCP things. And they will email you. They email you like four months in being like, you haven't submitted any cases. Can you please submit one or two? And you'll be like, oops, thanks for the reminder. There's a lot of people there trying to keep you on, on the rails of F1. Finally, I think as a doctor, you need to have a, a protection for you, so either medical protection or MDU, and you can choose to be part of a union as well, the BMA. So it's quite different, the union and the protection insurance. So make sure you have membership to 
definitely the protection and the union if you want. The really important thing is these people are external to your hospital and they can help you from like a medical, legal or a legal point of view. So saying, you know, your contract is not quite right. You're working too many hours that week or actually your manager is not allowed to refuse your leave due to this article of law and they send it to you and you're like, okay, so they can't refuse. So having that outside support there can be really useful if you do get into any conflict or if you have any more issues that you need help with. I would say it's definitely better to be safe than sorry. Because then once you have a problem and you're not signed up to any protection, it's too late. No, excellent, excellent advice. And mm-hmm. have you been able to get time off when you wanted? Yes, it depends on which specialties, but I think in general I've been able to get holidays and also time off for like some conferences as well so definitely I think the key is I'm still not very good at this but really ask early so by law you should have six weeks before you start minimum some sort of idea of what your rota is going to look like it might not be the final rota but they'll send you like a rota performa which at least you know for example I'll work one in four weekends or one in three sometimes then you know that and then they should send you maybe four weeks before you start like confirmed rota this is the weekend that you're working, it's the weekend that you're not. So I would say as soon as, even before you receive it, start looking at your calendar for the next four months. When do I want to go on holiday? When do I need to request leave? So you have nine days of annual leave. It needs to be within the four months of that rotation. So really I try to do as early as possible, send an email to the rotor coordinator being like, I want to take these days off. The earlier you do it, the more likely you're a chance of success yeah so make sure you really get organized early I'm still struggling sometimes I'm like oh next month I feel like going on a weekend home and then I'm like oh wait I can't which is fair enough but if you try to plan really early then you should be able to legally if you request some leave six weeks before the date of your shift if it's not a night shift they should be able to move around the rotor to accommodate you so they shouldn't be refusing any leave that's in six weeks time or more they might offer you alternatives or try to work out you know oh can I actually take this day off that week instead so just try to work with the rotor coordinator as well the other thing you can do is swap with people so there's always the second you get your rotor the group chat is filled with people being like can someone swap that weekend with me can someone swap that Saturday can you do this long day instead of that long day and you can arrange swaps with other people for example if you have a special event that comes up and you're trying to swap with someone it usually works out as well and have you been able to do things or get involved in projects outside of work yeah so that's a really good question as well balance is quite important it's important to have your rest as well as when you're an f1 so i would say so at the beginning what i did was i didn't pick up anything especially also my first rotation was surgery So I was like, I think the first four months are going to be mainly work and resting because that's really important. And then for the other rotations, I was able to do a lot more things. And even halfway through surgery, when I got into the rhythm, I was able to, it sounds really terrible, but like start going back to the gym and start hanging out with my friends more. Just I think at the beginning, there's a bit of a time where you're like getting used to the rota, getting used to the hours, finding your feet. And then it does definitely get better. So I've been able, you know, to start weightlifting at the gym, something I'd never done before. Classes and get a lot stronger. And 
So I've mean, noticed the people who started, you know, new projects, new sports in F1 as well. So it's definitely possible. I've been on really, you know, fun travel holidays around Europe as well. So it is definitely possible to have other things on the side as an F1. And I really always advocate for that. And I would say just make sure you get time for rest. Once you know yourself, so like now I know that if I come back late one evening, I can still make it and function through the next day. I'm not saying like 3 a.m., right? But like, you know, sometimes you're like, yeah, I can go with, you know, have drinks with friends on a work day if I go early and if I get home early. Some people are like, no, that doesn't work for me. So then you find your own balance. Or like some people, they can go to the gym before work. So that works for them. I can't make that work because I think it's too early in the morning. But you can start trying out different things when you feel like you're getting more used to the rotor. So try being more flexible with your gym times or your socializing time or seeing family. And then you'll find things that work for you that you can balance out with. Perfect. And just to finish on, so anything you wish you'd known at the start of F1, which you know now? That's a hard one because I feel like so many things are going to pick up along the way. but. I think one thing I thought was that all the other F1 would be really independent and they wouldn't be really keen to make friends, but actually they were not. So it was much more sociable than I thought. And I'm really glad that I discovered that because at the beginning, I didn't really expect it. And then I realized how fun it was almost like mini freshers all over again, like everyone's going out and making friends and getting to know each other. And that was really, really positive. And I was really scared. When I turned up the first day, I was like, you know, I'm not going to make any friends. I'm going to be sitting at the back by myself. But probably not like you know just reach out to people and you're going to make great friends the other thing everyone kind of says this I mean not everyone but I think the MDT is so so key especially when you're an F1 you can get so much help from everyone so the nurses are going to be your best friends of course there's going to be times where you have a bit of a disagreement or like they bleep you three times about someone But they're really, really like, you can't do much without the nurses. So make sure you're really listening to them. And they're probably under a lot of pressure as well. So usually the problem is the doctors and nurses had to have different priorities. That's usually where the stress kind of comes from. But make sure you listen to them and you work with them. And usually like, as in the nurse in charge has saved my life so many times in the ward. So they always feel like your mom sometimes in the ward. They're like, doctor, what are you doing? And they're like, okay, thanks. Really. You're going to be working with them so much. So get to know them and communicate with them really well. Like you can tell them this was a bit not ideal that this nurse did this. Can we work on doing it differently next time? But yeah, the nurses are going to be your, your best friends. And physios are great, super helpful, helping you with the patients all the time, helping you with discharge, especially on elderly. It's everything about the physiotherapy, occupational therapy, discharge planning. It's all thanks to them. Working with a pharmacist, the first month of F1, the pharmacist calls you a lot being like, I checked your prescription. Can you please change this back? Because you're going to make some little prescription things because you're not used to it. So pharmacists, they can really help you with all your questions that you have. So reach out to them as well. Yeah, there's a lot of different MDT members that I found it really interesting because everyone's really helping each other and you can learn so much from everyone. And then eventually you incorporate in your own knowledge as well. For example, I, on surgery, I was always called the pain team because I don't know if every hospital has that, but the pain team in my hospital was really good at helping people manage the pain and prescribing analgesia in a way that was really safe, actually really managed the patient's pain. 
And then I would ask them to explain to me why they changed it in that way. And then I picked up on a few things and they were happy because I was calling them less often because I was also picking up my own skills. So I think it's all about sharing your knowledge both ways. And that's really rewarding because what I love about being a doctor is working with other people towards the same goal of getting the patient better. So that's one thing I wish I'd known before, but I'm really glad that I picked that up. Excellent. Well, it's been so lovely speaking to you, Marin. Thank you so much for not doing just one, but now two episodes. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. I hope it's useful. And I'm, you know, sending lots of good vibes to all the incoming F1s. I'm really excited to meet all of you guys when you come to the ward. And we're all going to be colleagues. And it's scary at the beginning, but it really gets better. And you'll feel part of the team, like, very quickly. And you'll get to grips with things as well. So good luck to everyone. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you so much.